All right, folks, this show is sponsored by Anchor. A while back, we switched over to Anchor as our hosting platform for Panel to Panel. And to be honest, it's actually been one of the best experiences we've had when it comes to hosting our podcast. A lot of people think making a podcast is super difficult, but Anchor actually allows you to record and edit your podcast all on your phone if that's what you want to do. Anchor even helps you get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places like that. That way you can get your podcast to a wide audience of different people. And the best part about it, it's totally free. So go ahead, check out Anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app on your phone or through the App Store or the Google Play Store and check it out today. Now let's turn the page and get to this week's episode of Panel to Panel. going on good people of the internet it's time for on comics grounds.com's flagship podcast panel to panel where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such and tonight tonight my uh the trinity is not here the full squad is not here this evening it is only myself but i do have a special guest with me this evening he is an amazing tv and comic writer he is uh, currently working on the black hammer spinoff comic book uh barbarian uh red planet and it has been a book that, you know, like, in the past few weeks has really meant a lot to me. And I appreciate him coming on to talk about this amazing book. We have Tate Rumble. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. That was such a nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's so um, good to be here. Oh, th- th- thank you. Thank you for being here. I, I-, I was just really happy that that yeah, that you responded and now that i get to like talk about this and one of the big statements of the relaunch or panel to panel we did almost 50 episodes ago was trying to make sure that this this website and this podcast started with me like with an lgbt base and it's only grown and it's only been better and now mm-hmm. that we know not like it is poc led it is lgbtqia plus led and it's meant a lot to me as like I'm both of those things, but I have other people around me to help lead that charge that are also those things. And it's helped influence comics in a better way, I feel, because currently we don't have a lot of a representation. And uh, Barbie was something that really spoke to me with Black Hammer um, two years ago when it was being published. And I, I, like, before we, we dig into your background, I really wanted to know, um, what, like, for anybody who hasn't, like, like, read, uh, Barba- uh like, like, Barbalian Red Planet, like, it comes out this, this Wednesday, it'll be, like, published the same day of this episode's airing, if you have not read Black Hammer or Black Hammer Age of Doom, um, the series is sort of, like, I, I don't want to say a parody, but more of, like, a, an homage, uh, an maybe. homage, yeah, like an, an homage <laughs> of different sections of the DC and some, and kind of are even like some objects of the Marvel universe where mm-hmm. Jeff Lemire took this like, deep dive into the like, sort of the more darker aspects, but also like the like the psychological aspects of superheroes. And I've I've like 
multiple times on record said that Black Hammer is like the 2000, like, like 10s version of Watchmen because it speaks to so many more issues that need to be spoke on, even though it's in a more like singular setting compared to Watchmen. But I want to know what the original series meant to you before you were, uh, took on this project. Yeah, for sure. So actually funny you asked that because Black Hammer, like it started with like before I knew Jeff um, mm. and it came out, I think my second year of university um, at a time when I was struggling a bit financially. So like I had fallen out of comics a bit um, and couldn't really keep up to date. And then but in my second year of university, I started visiting my local comic shop, like downtown Toronto, um, and started like, dipping my toes in again and started reading uh, monthly comics little by little. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, Black Hammer debuted. Um, and it was like a huge thing for me that got me back into reading comics. because so I was like, I need to read this one monthly. Um, so it was it was a big part of me coming back into comics, falling back into back falling back in love with comics. Um, mm -hmm. At a time when I was going through like a lot of stress and it was a lot a lot of worries going on, um, but it was like I could escape away into this world, um, and it spoke to like so many things I cared about and had just such heart um, and talks. And it was all about like comics history um, while telling its own kind of story. Um, so it was just like the I don't know, it was like the perfect comic to come out at the perfect time um, to make me fall back in love with comics. Um, so it's kind of like what it meant to me at the time. Um, and then I met Jeff, we became close. Um, I don't even think I've like told him all of that. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's only, it's only meant even more to me as I've gotten to know Jeff and like gotten to know him personally. Um, and because I know this series is like means so much to him as well. It's almost a culmination of his career. Definitely. It feels like that because like he would go on to do other projects while he was publishing this. I remember at the time when Age of Doom had first started, he was doing Century. And I was like, mm -hmm. you could just do that over here. Like, why are you <laughs> going over there? Like, put Century in here. Like, yeah. it would be great. It, like, especially like having a more Superman based character. Like we have Black Hammer. But to see mm -hmm. a a more century based character would have been insane in this mm -hmm. universe. But it's it's funny because your entire like reasoning behind that speaks volumes to me because it's pretty much the same thing that like I was burnt out, like I was just yeah. done with with both Marvel and DC, and, and yeah. I even took a, a dip my toe into Valiant when Valiant was like getting big again, and it just wasn't hitting me the same. And yeah. it was at the same time when I was coming out and Black Hammer was just right there at the perfect moment someone just handed me the first trade and i have it on my wall and i also like on my bookcase and i have the um the library edition too and it's just this series hit those chords right when i needed them mm -hmm. and it's i i i just love like that we like we have that similarity there um but yeah. i i really want to know what got you into writing like what like like beyond university or comics what made you want to take the leap and to start like digging into writing? Um, well, as many, I think a lot of writers say similar things, but I've always written since I was like, very young. I remember I was like seven, six or seven, and I was like, I'm going to write a book. 
and my <laughs> my and I, my grandmother um helped me write like the first chapter and she like illustrated it um and it was like i don't know it was just such a proud moment for, i still remember it at such a young age um and then i never got into it never went to a chapter 2 or further <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah my i didn't stop writing after that like all through elementary school um through grade seven and eight we had like our creative writing classes and that was just like my favorite time um and i was always i don't know i was supported by my parents to write and my teachers um they knew i had a gift and they would kind of tell me that and i remember some very strange conversations like my one my grade eight teacher like called me over and she was like crying after reading my stuff and I was like what is going on this is weird um but like it kind of like pushed me to continue writing because then that kind of positive feedback I think was kind of integral because obviously no one I don't know it's hard to think of a career in writing like it's kind of like drilled into us so it's not very possible it's like go work at a bank or go um be a doctor or something um so writing never seemed like something I could pursue as a career, um, even though it was something I loved doing and always did. Um, and then I went to school. I was in, I did, I was in like a media production and broadcast kind of school uh, program here mm-hmm. in Toronto. And I, even then I was still taking screenwriting classes, um, but still not really sure how I could even ever write for the screen. Um, and then that's how I met Jeff because I was interning for a producer here and we were and are still adapting Essex County to TV. Mm. Um, So I was interning and I was like, I need to be in this writer's room. And the producer was like, fine, but you're going to do work. So then I became like the assistant in the room. Um, (laughs) And I didn't even know Jeff would show up. But then one day he like came into the writer's room and I was like, I was freaking out like low key um, or high key. But I, (laughs) and then I'm, I remember meeting him and I was like quiet the whole time because I was just like, how do I talk to this guy? Like, obviously Jeff was um, someone I really looked up to in comics and loved his work. Um, but then we just really connected and hit it off um, and just started talking comics. Um, and I remember stressing to him even then in the room being like, how will I get into writing for TV or film and all this stuff? And then he was like, Tate, you love comics. Like, why wouldn't you just try writing for comics? And I was like, what the heck? I could do that. <laughs> so, um, and I, I like read comics my whole life. I even like used to draw and write comics when I was like seven, eight with my best friends. So I was like, why, awesome. why wouldn't I? You know, it was like, because writing for comics, I feel like even is more niche than writing, go trying to write for TV. It so definitely like, can seem like that, yeah. <laughs> so that hadn't even crossed my mind. And then it took Jeff being like, just write comics, Tate. Um, and then I just started writing comics that would never see the light of the day, but I sort of started writing scripts and scripts and coming up with books and series. Um, yeah, and I just started kind of obsessively writing comics after that. That is awesome. <laughs> like, the ability for you to actually, like, like find your path through, like, uh, Jeff just sounds so amazing. Yeah, um, I, like, I will say it to, like, the end of my life like I owe so much to Jeff Lemire and he's like such a great man and guy and friend um and he's like really been the person like pushing me and like seeing my potential and what I can do so I owe everything to him for sure 
that's excellent. Um, like I'm, I'm like I keep pr- praying the one day I can like get him to sign one of my copies of Black Hammer because like he seems he puts his heart into like everything he writes. Like yeah. I remember reading his Old Man Logan when it was coming out because mm-hmm. I have all the issues in my long box and it was. I guess when um and I, like this is no um disrespect to the the uh, who took over after Jeff left, but uh, he has this like he just rips out part of his soul and shoves it into whatever he writes, mm-hmm. and it's just like how do you do that over and over again? How are you able to put that kind of like energy in it without losing part of yourself? And I I want to like ask him that one day. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's definitely. The one thing about his writing that has always spoken to me too. I know that like, that's like very important to him. Um, even when how he decides on writing Black Hammer spinoffs, he like knows that if there's that heart there or that soul of the book isn't there, he's like not going to do the story or spinoff. Um, and that was like a big part of Barbarian and coming up with this story. And he was even, I remember him being like, you can pitch this idea, but like you got to make sure it's like something worth telling. Um, which is like a huge reason of why Red Planet became what it was. That that's very fair because um, my biggest fear when I saw this in the solicitations, like right before I read it, I was like, um, it, Barbie's story is really hard to like, like. Like, there's that obvious time gap, and like you could do a lot with that time gap, but mm-hmm. he doesn't even start to even accept himself until. Mm-hmm. Age of Doom, like all of the first volume, he's struggling with himself. And yeah. even when he finally goes to the Reverend to like, 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 like say, Hey, I like you. And I think we should explore this. It's like, Oh, he's like, like he got pushed back and it wasn't there for him. And then he got pushed back and like had no one except for Gail. And to see, like, like to see the ability for you to craft this solo narrative off the rip it just i'm really excited to see how the other four issues go i'm not gonna lie yeah um that was a huge um part of it actually because like i knew i had this small window before because in um like the first trade it shows when barbie um leaves earth and is like bye because he's done with putting up with like a lot of the homophobia and the police force mm-hmm. so he like says bye to earth and like flies off to mars and then he gets like right away blasted back to um by, by starlock and black hammer to defeat um like anti-god and then all of a sudden like anti-god happens and then they're off to the farm so i had like i all, all of this takes place in between like um all of that time i knew i only had a certain window um and it had to happen before and lead into his journey and the Black Hammer main title. Um, so that was a big part of the design. Um, and you'll see, I guess you will, you'll see how it goes and what happens. Yeah. Um, but that was definitely on my mind throughout a lot of it. Yeah, no, and like obviously we're at issue one and we're still like, we're still got like two days of embargo. But like, like, thankfully, this will be releasing after embargo is lifted, so we can talk a little bit about the issue. But I was yeah, not yeah, yeah. the four issues like preceding it, obviously. But yeah. I, this issue spoke to me because I really was worried when um, the flashbacks were occurring in um, Black Hammer, like the first few issues, because the moment with 
his um partner like like his partner on, mm-hmm. on the force was just so cut and dry and it felt like there was never gonna be resolution on that and it just goes mm-hmm. straight to the farm and it left me kind of heartbroken for him to so to see you like just go straight to that moment in time and put it in one of the most groundbreaking moments in our history for like like LGBTQIA people. It's just mm-hmm. I was just blown away but when I opened this book. And I I, I wanna know what you like what like what 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 made you choose this as like his moment. Um do you mean like the AIDS crisis at large or just yes. Um, so how that happened is, um, like a, a few things kind of lined up. I was helping Jeff with, cause Black Hammer was acquired by, um, and was acquired for film and TV adaptation. Mm-hmm. Jeff was helping set that up and was creating like a world kind of Black Hammer Bible. Um, to set up the producers to do that. Um, and I helped him a bit with that because I had done the Black Hammer Encyclopedia. So I just knew a lot about Black Hammer. Um, so I was helping him with that. And he did this huge timeline and placed like a world, a real world history and placed the characters and how their stories lined up with it. Yeah. Um, and obviously Barbie was active during the eighties. It's like his age. So he, Jeff had actually set up this idea that Barbarian was on the streets of Spiral during the AIDS crisis. Um, and he didn't do anything much else with that, but I saw that and I was like, that is a story there. And I don't know if Jeff had thought too deeply of what that story could be. Um, but as soon as I saw that, I obviously was just like, you have Barbarian who is his secret identity is a police officer and he's a gay man um and he's this like martian super martian superhero so it's like have that character in the middle of the age crisis is just so much tension on its own mm-hmm. um that i was like that that is a story that could be a beautiful like incredible story that also speaks on so many things and addresses um the issue of like police queer relations during that time and throughout our entire like queer history. Um, so I knew that that could be a story. And then I saw Jeff, like, I think he tweeted a poll and was like, what characters should get a miniseries spinoff? And I like, I selected Barbalian and then I picked Barbalian and then I, I messaged him and was like, I just gave him, I just fed that idea to him. I was like, Jeff, this could be a story. Um, you have, you've already set up this idea that, or you, in this document, you had set up this idea that Barbarian was active during the AIDS crisis. There's a story there. Um, and gave him like a kind of short pitch. And I didn't even, like, it's not like I was saying I should write it. I was like, here's an idea, Jeff. Like, this is an idea for a book. And he was like, hmm, interesting. And then like two weeks later, he called me. He was like, we're doing that book. Gabriel Walt is doing the art and you are writing it. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Very quickly. um, I had to, yeah, just, this was just thrown onto my lap and I had to like figure out what I was going to do with it. Um, But obviously he said like Dark Horse needs to sign off on it. So you need to come up with like a, like a pitch document um, uh, to send to them. So then I 
had to put a lot of work into that and send it off to door course and they all they loved it um and daniel our editor there was like a huge was so supportive from the beginning um so things just went on but yeah the why his story at this time is kind of that because i knew he was a character the last time we saw him um he kind of finally got a taste of what it's like to be queer and see how the police are going to treat you. <laughs> um, yeah. He finally was kind of, I don't know, he was in this very emotional, fragile state. Um, and he had created a very comfortable bubble on Earth as like this great Martian warlord superhero that the public loved. He was a decorated police officer. Um, but then when we leave him on Earth, that kind of that bubble kind of pops and he starts um he starts like he's very uncomfortable and instead of like facing it he like leaves earth um so i was kind of that just was so representative of like just white fragility and white privilege like as soon yeah. as things got as soon as things got hard he's just like i'm fleeing <laughs> the planet um so I knew there was a story there that I could, but like that could happen before he ends up on the farm that addresses this kind of, this bubble of privilege that he had, um, that he just started to kind of examine or realize. Um, and starting to see, cause that was kind of when his eyes started to be opened about those, the police relations um, with the queer community. Yeah. So, that is why I, I that was a very long-winded answer but that's kind of no that's fine no i i loved it <laughs> like every second of that was just what i wanted to hear because it's like i guess with the like i guess tokenism that's occurred and i don't want to like i know uh, my co-host mary's gonna hit me in the head for this later but like um the tokenism that's kind of occurred with gay people in comic books as of late like um, there's the whole controversy of just Batwoman being swapped out for another gay character, like they just like they wrote a new one, or the the stuff that's happened where like oh they made a big deal about Hulkley and Wicked finally getting married, and then no one cared five minutes later. Granted, like COVID kind of had a little bit of an effect on that because Empire kind of got shut down like in the mm. middle of the, of the of the event. But in general, the last time a big gay moment occurred was I. think think north star's wedding and like maybe uh midnighter and apollo's wedding or when midnighter went to hell literally hell to get apollo back so to see you actually want to confront like th this material almost like ring similar to mark russell snagglepuss and you like, mm -hmm. like you, you didn't have to reinvent an entire like like character like that just to put this into the ether you just like took what you had and made this amazing concept yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was very helpful to have Barbalian already exist. And I kind of, he was kind of set up perfectly in a way for me. Like, I don't know if, um, and that, that was part of the great, because I had so many conversations with Jeff. And a lot of this he hadn't thought of, but he was aware that it could, it's a story that only a queer person could like pick up on <laughs> and tell. Yeah. Um, because obviously, I don't, I, to my knowledge, I don't think he tried to set it up this way, but it kind of, it just worked out that way. And then um, I kind of, I don't know, I just recognized all of 
like immediately all these pieces that I was like, Jeff, they, these are all the pieces to like this beautiful puzzle that we can put together. <laughs> um, so just let me like try to make this work. Um, so yeah, that, it was, it, it, I do, I love that he's a character that already existed. I love that he was this queer superhero that was, he wasn't, he was more than just a gay Martian. Um, and I could pick up on all of these facets of his life um, outside of his sexuality and then just twist it all together, including his sexuality. Um, but yeah. Most of. Um, I think the thing that like ends up coming up a lot when critics of quote-unquote political comic books is like trying to balance that ideal of um, like like a character who happens to be gay while also confronting the issues we deal with on the regular. And I think one of the things that spoke volumes to me was the minute, he, like after everything went down, he just reassumed everything and kind of got a talking to in the middle of the book by um like 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 the like the dude who was protesting and it was mm -hmm. like dang you're still in the closet even though you're a martian and i'm mm -hmm. out here fighting for my existence and it, it almost goes to that conversation of like, like 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 in and out of the closet versus and almost the stereotype some people who are out go like talk like like say you like like you should just come out already you don't have to be on the dl um, was that intentional when you were going through that, the idea of sort of that, like, stigma? Of coming out at that time? Just coming out in general, like, almost this, like, the, I guess, um, discrimination of people who are out versus the people who are, like, in, and, like, hey, you could, like, like, you see me, I'm out here on the front lines doing this thing, but in, like, like, like in contrast, Barbie's hiding, like, who he is. It was like it seemed like very subliminal, and I like I caught up on that. I wanted to know if that was intentional. Yeah. So, what's interesting about the AIDS crisis in our, in terms of queer history is that it was the first time queer people were taken to the street in such a large way, and one of the main messages of the protest at that time was begging begging queer people to come out. Um, joining them on the streets or joining the protests because this because AIDS HIV AIDS was like it was a virus that affected you whether you were out or if you were in the closet so yeah. people that were out um and putting like their lives on the line um on the streets were kind of begging people that were in the closet to come out and join them because this wasn't just like a, wasn't just like about marriage or like keeping your job if you're gay. It wasn't like a civil rights kind of thing in that way. It was literally like their health and their lives on the line. Because um, obviously a lot of uh, closeted gay people could kind of still live a life um, while they were in the closet yeah. at that time or like still, but so. This was kind of like, there was like a huge messaging of the time, uh, like for begging these people to come out. So that was that kind of, that was on my mind throughout writing this. Um, and that scene with Miguel, the protest, the protester, um, that was definitely, that was, yeah, that was for sure on my mind while I was writing that scene. And a lot of that was just kind of 
Miguel laying out, <laughs> like laying into him about yeah. everything, um, about what side is he on, um, just about he kind of like opened his eyes to like what the cops were doing. So that is like an important scene and definitely kind of the turning point for Barbie. That's amazing to hear, and like. I wish there was a way that this could be longer than five issues. Like, I would love to see Barbie have this elongated thing. Like, obviously, we're, like, stuck in a time frame, per se, but, like, yeah. it would be amazing to see where this could develop. Yeah, um, we do. We I will say we cover a lot in five issues, so I'm excited to hear what you think. I, like, I made sure that each issue was, like, pretty dense and covered a lot of these issues because I was like, I only have five issues. <laughs> I need to say and kind of play with this as much as i can um while keeping it obviously satisfying and coherent um but like, yeah, you did a lot in issue one i, I was going away <laughs> i do i tried to try to cover a lot each issue um wow I, I'm, I'm still just like in shock of how amazing this book is like i i don't want to just like like sit here and give you praise to the end of time but like it it, it just it speaks volumes to me and like means so much and i i wanted like like do you you have like in your uh the b article you spoke on like the importance of tackling not only the lgbt issues but also the like the people of color issues and mm -hmm. like you even purposely made like like M miguel a person of color like you made mm -hmm. that a specific thing even you like, you were speaking on earlier uh like, like off mic of one of the issue two variants being like having Miguel on the cover, and I mm -hmm. want to know, like, like for the people who like haven't read the article, I'll link it in the bio of the episode, but in, like in the in the tweets of the, for the episode. But for those who haven't read the article, what made you like like pr purposely focus on that? And especially, there's the stigma of not like 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 either yes, you are an LGBT like like, like LGBT representative, but um like you also being caucasian like kind of mm -hmm. creates the like the vibe for a lot of people that like <clears throat> you don't have to cover this but what made you want to cover this um well i will always in a way feel an obligation to um as a white cis guy queer guy writing writing anything um and just trying to look outside of my own view and experience um but keeping in mind that these are not like my experiences um and this is and a lot of these stories aren't mine to tell but i was looking at i was doing my research and i was reading a lot of books and i was watching a lot of films shows documentaries and the majority which just isn't surprising focus on white gay men cis men um and they are kind of you kind of only see their experience through the aids crisis um and then like yeah. a lot of and and a lot of queer stories in general um and then i had barbalian who's a character that already exists um who is a white um gay cis martian man um so i immediately was like oh so i'm doing an aid story and i have a white gay cis man as a lead um so i knew right away that like i didn't want to fall into that larger canon of like aids um media um and i felt 
an obligation to also put a spotlight on like marginalized, other marginalized stories. Um, so I kind of, I made it um, a goal to include as many uh, marginalized stories as I could. I wanted, Paul Barbie is like the protagonist. Um, I wanted his story to be about his privilege. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, if I'm doing, like he's, it's, it's kind of tricky because he's a Martian, but he yeah. obviously, he chose a white skin. He chose a police officer as um, his profession. Um, so it's kind of talking about that. And if I was going to do a story with another white lead, it had to be about tackling white privilege, white complacency, and in it, white complicity. So I, so I was like, okay, we're doing that other, like the lead activist who in my mind is the real horror, like the real hero of the story is Miguel. And he's, um, he is, so like a lot of the story is about him, but um, so I have him, the end of issue one, spoiler if you haven't read it yet, um, <laughs> but it ends with Barbie walking in on an underground um, gay nightclub, which is filled with uh, BIPOC people and drag queens, and it looks almost like Paris is burning. Um, so I knew that <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to do, I wanted to address that um, and show the AIDS experience from that underground, like um, Black and Latina, Latinx um, queer subculture um, that was so beautifully shown in Paris is Burning. Um, so I went out of my way to make sure that I was showing, or I was spotlighting these different experiences. Um, and in other issues, I can't spoil it, but like I continue that. Um, and I show different things that I won't talk about. But um, that was definitely on my mind. And that's kind of the reasoning of why um, I chose to tell the story this way. Excellent. I'm, I'm hoping that the rest of the series like continues the vibe you're going with and i'm glad to hear that it is because just and to see that to see that that underground scene and they didn't even hesitate they immediately were like hey come in you're fine don't stress that was like a breath of fresh air that i kind of needed when i read it after like everything that's been going on this past year and you and I even said off mic like hey let's wait to do this till after the election and it's like <laughs> yeah like everything that's been going on the past few years that we've dealt with and especially as someone like me who is gay and black it feels like there really is nothing for me and like I wish I could go back in time and tell Jeff, hey, like, you notice how, like, all of, like, all of DC's media is making Martian Manhunter black? Can you make Barbie black for me? Like, please, <laughs> like, that would be amazing. And to see him tackle that not only from a black perspective, but from a cop perspective and a gay perspective would be insane. But even mm -hmm. what we have now, like, the ability that he can pass as a white man. Like it almost mm -hmm. speaks to the recent Lovecraft country with the transformation. It like it goes to that level of re like realism of hey, I get to see this from a lens. Granted, I can change to whatever color I want to, but I, mm -hmm. I like this is the persona I've chosen. And on top of that, I'm still something totally different on the inside while also being gay. And mm -hmm. it just 
like there's it's so it's like it's like that shrek onion like like you keep peeling the layer of it and it's just <laughs> ah i love it so I know, it's very, much yeah he's such an interesting character but like um i did want to just comment isn't that that club scene the most beautiful double yeah. page spread like, <laughs> like gabriel I, sent that oh. to me and i would like when i saw that i just oh my gosh it was like out of everything in the whole series that's one of the pages that just makes me just so happy when i see it like, like it, it's so and like there's the two men general. i know i know but then in that one that page there's like those two men just in, like holding each other and smiling and there's like the drag queens on stage and i'm just like yeah. this is so queer and it makes me so happy that this is in a comic book i'm also like, like i just geek out yeah. about it as well on my side oh no i I, lo I love talking about this kind of stuff because you don't see it enough it's like oh, no. it's all it's almost sti like stigmatized the idea of like anything that is this is still kind of underground like yeah like pride month comes around and everyone like like flips their lid and like puts on the rainbow colors and has a good time but like yeah. after that they expect to just, just go back to normal society and we have to keep doing this on the low and i wish it was different and to see you like like put this out in the open to see what we had recently with doom patrol actually show it or with, with, mm -hmm. with like specifically lovecraft country again showing it we're, we're slowly starting to break that mold of normalcy that society like heteronormal society has created and i love that you weren't afraid to put this on like, like a, a mainstream comic book Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm looking forward to the day where like it doesn't attract headlines, <laughs> like people like um, it'll like obviously these images will always matter, but like I'm very excited when it's um when it's less I don't know sporadic and or underground like you said, um, so no I'm just I'm glad that I could kind of add this. Piece you pave them like, away. That's amazing. Like I just like 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 even recently because we had things like um, Snagglepuss that actually mm -hmm. tackled something that you're gonna tackle in here, which is the police side of things, mm -hmm. and to see it tackled from a whole different angle. Where well, similarly, where you have the police officer who is gay, but to see more of the like the origin story of it, where he's coming into the underground versus the end of it and you like, like like seeing what happened in that story and now seeing this i i don't want i, I don't want to spoil other uh, things for the future for myself too much because obviously it hasn't come out yet but like i wonder if there's gonna be more conflict like with not not even with the martian who's coming but like like conflict with the police like are you able to speak on that at all like is there gonna be more of that evolving um so not a spoiler but i'll just i'll make it clear the the villains of this book are the police <laughs> very <Wow>. clearly <laughs> okay so if you're wanting more of that you will see a lot more of that um there's obviously boa running uh, boa boaz running around um trying to catch um barbie but um i won't spoil things but yeah, there the police will still uh, will be very much involved with the the coming issues up until the final issue. Yes, that is exciting to see because the ability to because I think with media even recently after everything we've been through this year, we tend to like like idolize police 
And like, yes, mm-hmm. like obviously there are good police officers, like like, but the issue itself needs to be addressed that police are have have a history of not being too kind to our people. And mm-hmm. confronting that in like the public space is something that I really enjoy that we're finally getting to do. So thank yeah. you for that. And yeah, no, I wrote this um almost a year and a half ago. So it was before um like um, all of the recent Black Lives Matter protests. Um, And obviously those protests brought a whole new surge of like um, awareness and understanding. um, And it seemed like everyone was sharing um, like um, all of those kind of like factoids on Instagram and Twitter, Um, but like this huge dissemination of information and like history about police relations with queer people um, black indigenous people of color um, that that understanding I think is more widespread now because of the Black Lives Matter protests so when I wrote this it was before that stuff that had happened um, and I knew that I was writing on a subject that was contentious that like that was contentious um, that obviously queer people knew about and people of color um, knew about but it wasn't like the knowledge of like defund the police or um, seeing the police in like a villainous light almost was yeah. still like not that well known back when I wrote this. So I was kind of, there was a part of me that was like, yeah, I'm freaking doing this. Um, but part of me was like, um, this might get a lot, people might be angry that I'm doing this and the things that I'm saying and showing. Um, but since this past year, it's like become so, I don't know, like everyone has a better understanding of this topic. So Definitely. I don't know. So like, I'm no longer like worried because I think people understand, um, which is good. And I think that it, if anything like supports the book because people will better understand like why this is so serious and important. Definitely. Um, I got a couple more for you and then we'll wrap up. Um, so I didn't know you did this, and I was gearing up on Midtown's website to order the uh, like uh, the co- a copy of the issue because like I, I I like collecting number ones that matter to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't know the Phil Jimenez cover existed, and I yeah. re- I, I really want to know what made you go with the angle of the ribbon for that. Oh, I had no say in that. That was fully Phil. Wow. So um, Phil. Um, we reached out to, back when I signed on to this, I, I was like, okay, we, I want, if we're doing variant covers, they need to be done by like queer artists. And I gave them kind of my wish list. <laughs> and, um, Bill was one of them. Kevin was one of them, obviously. I was like, I need a WADA cover. Um, and then we like reached out to these artists, hoping that they would do them. Um, and Phil, like, I did not expect to get Phil Jimenez. I was like, Phil is waiting. like. He is so big. He means like he means so much to me as a comics creator. Um, yeah. Did not expect to get him on board, and he was like right away like, "Yes, I want to do this. This is like so, so important." Um, and then he sent back like three mock-up like ideas, um, and each of them was like so good, <laughs> like so very different, mm-hmm. um, but so good. Uh, and then he, and then uh, myself and the editorial, we were like that. 
that red ribbon one is just so powerful and it like it just puts it front front and center um and barbie looks so pissed off yes um, so it just captured so much of the series uh and so we were like let's do this one and phil came through with that and then um and then um yeah it's and it's just it's so beautiful and yeah i'm glad you saw that <laughs> i just like I, I just, I, ha I have a thing about that. And I, I saw that on the Midtown website and I, I, I needed to get, like, like, get your view on that. And the fact that Phil Jimenez did it means so much to me. And now yeah. I have to have that. I know. I, oh. <laughs> it's so amazing. And we, yeah, that was part of the conversation too when we saw it. We're like, this needs to be the variant for the, like, the first issue. Um, it's just such a statement. It is very much the perfect statement. And I'm so thankful that I, that exists now. Um, so obviously, like, 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 you can't really talk too much if you're like working on anything. But like, is there like, are you able to give a tease of any other projects or like LGBT focused projects you would like to do in the future in terms of comic books that you would like to tackle? Um, yeah. So in terms of LGBTQI2S books. I have, because I did so much research for this book, I felt like I uncovered this treasure trove of queer history that I had no idea about. Um, <laughs> and I found so many stories and so many heroes that like I didn't know about. My friends um, who I talked to didn't know a lot of them. And I felt, I don't know, like it was, there were just so many names and so many heroes and so many stories um that was like these are like people need to know this so like one of the things i really want to do is continue to do um uh queer like historical comics just kind of going into our history um and disseminating more of that to people because i feel like that's very important and our queer history in terms of like our out <laughs> our out of the closet history is mm -hmm. only like decades old like we don't yeah. have much um and a lot of it has been closeted on purpose or a lot of it has not seen the light of day or it gets hard to track down or it only exists in like people's memories um so that's like i don't know that's something that has become very important to me uh and i want to definitely tell more stories that are set in throughout our throughout queer history i'm excited to see what you do with that because that'll mean a lot to me um, I want to thank you so much for wanting to be on this episode. It is such a, like a gift that I got to talk to you this evening. Thank you so much. Oh, that's so, that's very kind. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I don't even know how an hour went by so fast. Right. Like that's the one thing I love. Cause like, like writing can be a great way for me to like get my opinion out there when it comes to writing reviews. But what I love about podcasting is that I can sit here and have a real conversation with you and let you sort of be off filter if you want to be and get your like, like, work, like real opinion out there that you can't always get through with a paper interview. And I love yeah. that you gave me that chance to see. Yeah. And I also like fully over edit any paper interview. So it's good to, like, <laughs> to get me like this. Um, no, but this was really nice. You were, you were so good at it interviewing and keep making like a nice safe safe comfortable I'm a, place i must say honestly i was a nervous wreck so like like this was probably no, the, like, nice. the hardest interview i've ever done normally when 
I do interviews for Blurred Grounds, it comes off very easy. But like, like, cause I can just go into that old school barbershop mode and just have a good time <laughs> with the crew and talk and talk to, to folks. But here, this was new ground for me. So I appreciate you like, well, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't even know it. That was really nice. And, um, yeah, I'm really, thank you for having me on seriously. And like taking the time to talk about this, if anything, it's just really nice to geek out about this yeah, issue. Definitely. I've been waiting so long for this to come out. Um, it was supposed to come out like for pride month and then COVID pushed oh. kind of things back. Um, so I've just been like waiting for this and like, it's so nice to like hear people's thoughts and like, just talk about it. So thank you. No problem. Um, you are welcome here anytime after this. <laughs> um, is there any closing thoughts, like anything you would like to pimp besides the book that you want to like shout out for people? Um, oh man, I wish I had something prepared. <laughs> I'm about to say, this is like usually when I, when I like I ask my co-host if they have a closing statement, but like but like this is the one where I'm like, hey, do you have anything you want to like promote, like any like like any charities, your socials, like anything like yeah. that you want to talk about? Yeah, please find some local, um, some and trans-focused charities, please wherever whoever wherever you're listening from in your city, um. They're being hit very hard right now, especially through COVID. I know um, yeah. at least the ones in Toronto, they've been struggling. Um, so just search out for some um, local ones, especially. And um, yeah, that would be very nice and, and good of you. We should do this um, separately, sorry. We should do this again, but once the final issue comes out. I would love that. I would Let's make love, that happen. I would and love then we can discuss happen. the whole series properly. Definitely. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll make that happen. Uh, folks, thank you for tuning in this episode of Panel to Panel. Um, this has been amazing for me, and we will catch you folks next time, right here, next week, where we will begin the Simone Saga. Peace out.